Hey guys, thanks for listening to Library Overload. This is Tavia. And this is Susie. Don't forget to go check out our blog where we post all of the books that we talk about and sometimes some other goofy fun stuff. (laughs) And then also check us out on Instagram and more Library Overload there. And then also if you like us or if you think we need improving, go give us a review or a rating on whatever podcast platform you listen to. Thanks. Happy Black History Month, guys. Yay! So we're going to be talking about books about or by or both uh, black authors, black people, anyone that has an amazing story to tell. Yes. So this is a good batch of stuff that we've got to throw at you today. We were excited about doing this episode. Yes. um, To kind of highlight to rock into Black History Month with a bang. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's kind of humbling when, especially at least for me, I was looking at books that I've read that I could possibly talk about, and I have not read enough by no, black authors. And so it's definitely very humbling, and it really makes you think. I started off with two nonfictions, one that just broke my soul into pieces, yeah. but I definitely wanted to also add that. There are some amazing romances, some just mm-hmm. amazing novels written by mm-hmm. incredible people, and that Black History Month doesn't always have to be the sadness. And yes, it always it doesn't always have to be about the enslavement or mm-hmm. the struggle. I think that was the the excitement around Black Panther is that it was finally a depiction of the black community mm-hmm. in a celebratory place. You in know? an incredible world where they own their greatness and and they're amazing and it is a country that i would love to live in me too it seems so amazing i want to go to wakanda (laughs) but yes so we've got we've got several that we're really excited to talk about Mm -hmm. so tavia go okay i am going to start with the year of yes by her majesty shonda rhymes In, if, in her name we pray. Right. If you live under a rock or in a cave with a troll, Shonda Rhimes is the writer of Grey's Anatomy and Private Practice. And she's How the, to Get Away with Murder. She's the executive producer of How to Get Away with Murder. Oh, I thought she wrote it too. Um, I think she writes some of it, but mostly okay. she's the executive producer. That's okay. what she's listed as. Okay. Um, and that's what she described herself as in the book. Gotcha. So this book was very funny. Because she's hysterical. But it's also very poignant. <laughs> I don't know how much of it is true. Because at the very beginning of it, she opens up and she goes, let me lay down some facts for you. First of all, I'm an old lady. She's like 50. And then second of all, I'm a liar. That's what I do. I lie for a living. I make money lying to people. So <laughs> I don't know if this book is true or not. <laughs> what a way to open up your nonfiction book. Right? <laughs> But, like, I mean, she's not wrong. She does lie for a living. I don't think <laughs> writing stories is lying. But she talks about how, like, from an early age, she would, like, spin these stories mm. and, like, you know. I was an incredible liar as a child, so I understand. Like, at one point, she talks about how in her elementary school as a black woman, she tried to convince the teacher that her mother was a Russian spy. Sure. And she, just think these fantastic stories but that's where she starts and so i don't know you know take it with a grain of salt (laughs) 
if this is all true or not. She was, she's an introvert, which is a lot like me. So I really related to this. And then one year at Thanksgiving, her sister was like, you never say yes to anything. And so she's like, uh, no, I don't. Cause I'm terrified. Mm-hmm. And so she went on this journey of the year of yes, where she was going to start saying yes to all of these new experiences. And she says it changed her life and she was able to overcome a lot of uh, you know, things that she had dealt with her whole life. And I wrote down in my notes, she took me to church because <laughs> she sure did. I do love it when books take me to church. Yes, because I maybe it's because I'm such an introverted person that I have a lot of the same issues that she has. Mm-hmm. So, like, one thing is being scared of difficult conversations. Oh, God, yes. Like, in... The way she described it and the way it feels for me, like you're terrified of these conversations because you think at the end of it, the people are going to stop loving you or they're going to leave you or something like that. But she's like, you know, the thing is, if you just get the conversation out there, the people who are meant to be there will be there. The people who leave shouldn't have been there in the first place and you'll feel more liberated. Mm -hmm. And that just like was like a holy cow light bulb kind of moment for me because that's something I super duper struggle with. Mm -hmm. And then also she talks about... How we create narratives for other people that we meet. Like, we don't necessarily always see people as their true self. Sure. We project on them what we want to see, and then we're, like, shocked when they betray us. Mm-hmm. And so it's, she talks about how to kind of reel that in and see people for themselves. And I think that's something that I definitely, for sure, struggle with. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was really, really brilliant. But... I listened to the audiobook. Did she narrate it? She narrated oh, it. Oh, that's And it great. was super cool. But she also talks about, on her year of yes, several of the speaking engagements she goes on. Okay. And she's terrified of public speaking. Terrified. Which, to a bigger crowd, I'm kind of a little nervous too, which I know seems weird to have a podcast platform, but like it's... But nobody's it's, staring at yeah, you. Yeah. It's me and you sitting in here. Right. And But like, she ended up doing a commencement address... Goodness. Um, at her alma mater. I think it was Columbia. Okay. Um, wherever Mindy Kaling went. But the really cool thing about the audiobook is instead of narrating her speech, she inserts clip of the live broadcast of the, the speech. So that was Dartmouth. Really, Dartmouth. There we go. So that was really, really, really cool. That's cool. And one thing that she said during one of those speeches that I thought was just brilliant is that people keep asking me why I write... LGBTQ characters or why I write people of color characters and she's like until it's normal I'm gonna keep doing it until it's normal I'm not I'm not writing them because I'm trying to normalize this lifestyle because you know x number of percent of people look like this live like this act like this we Mm -hmm. need to see this kind of representation Mm because it really matters she still writes that because people still ask her that question and yeah the the concept of normalizing it Instead of like trying to shed light on their stories or whatever. She's like, no, I just, it's normal. I'm just, yeah, this is how people live. Yeah. People want to watch things about people that look Mm -hmm. like them. Yeah. And I thought it was really brilliant. And there's stuff in there about her life that I didn't realize. Like she adopted all three of her children and she didn't get married. Wow. And as a black woman to be able, a single mm -hmm. black woman to be able to adopt children, that's. Yeah. That's amazing. Her sister, she was like talking about, she didn't say yes to stuff because she was a single mom. And her sister said, you make like a million dollars an episode. You're not a real single mom. (laughs) And I was like, I mean, you're not wrong, but (laughs) you're also kind of not right either. 
But then she talks about her nanny, um, and her nanny's name is Jenny McCarthy. That's amazing. Not the Jenny McCarthy. Sure. And that was just funny. But she does talk about how Christina Yang is like the representation of her. Mm -hmm. She's like, I wrote so much of myself into that character. Wow. Especially the parts about not wanting to get married. Okay. She's like, as a woman... Not wanting to get married is, is like wrong. Taboo is yeah. the worst. She said that when she was seeing this guy, she was thinking about getting married, even though she really knew she didn't want to. But her parents, her family, was so much more excited about that than any of her uh, any of her academic or career accomplishments. That was the thing that they were excited about. God, that's dumb. and it's like you know we have to we just have to be better. Mm. And so I thought that was really brilliant how she said she poured into Christina Yang her soul. Wow. And I thought that was really cool. It makes me when I go back and rewatch everything. Yeah. Just to 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 pick up on that kind of stuff. Hmm. That's really um, interesting. But that's a bit daunting. There's like a million years of Grey's Anatomy. Dear God, it's been on since I was a wee wee one. <laughs> Probably, yeah. But no, yeah. like seriously, I used to watch it, it was but then well, I was going to say I used to watch it, but then I got my very first job and had to work nights during high school and had to stop watching it because I didn't have a DVR back then. Wow. So, yeah, that's how long it's been out. I've never felt so old. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah, Shonda Rhimes, she was just amazing. It was super fun to listen I to have her wanted. Talk about it. Okay, so this came out after she had been writing for so long. Yes, this was this was out even after she started how to get away with murder and Interesting. i think um she talks in it about the filming of the final few scenes of gray's anatomy so it's it's not super old because gray's anatomy just ended like last year i think right no it's still on or maybe it's the final scenes of christina maybe that's it yeah because she's no longer on gray's okay yeah so when christina left this is around this time is when she was writing. Okay. She was talking about the filming of the final scenes of Christina. I think that Shonda Rhimes has stepped away from Grey's now. Uh-huh. And she is now contracted with Netflix to write stuff for them. Oh, that's cool. Yes. Um, and I don't know if anything that she's done with them has come out yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was very intrigued to see what she would do because Netflix is kind of a, you can put out whatever you want. It can yeah. be family friendly. It can be raunchy. It can be anything in between. Yeah. So I'm very intrigued to see what sh- um what she does without constraints. Yeah, that would uh, be brilliant. Yes. So I'm I'm very very interested. Just listening to some of the stories that she tells that she made up. I mean, you just wonder <laughs> in her mind how this all sure exists. It's kind mm. of brilliant. That's awesome. I've said that word like six times. Well, she is brilliant, so yes. it's okay. <laughs> Okay, my very first book is one that I picked up on Monday because of the un- hor- I, like there's not enough words to describe the horrible accident of Kobe Bryant and his daughter. So I picked up a book that was written very shortly after he retired or a book that was put out shortly after he retired from the NBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is Remembering Kobe Bryant. Players, coaches, and broadcasters recall the greatest basketball player of his generation. So it's just short and sweet little essays by mm-hmm. all different kinds of people. Magic Johnson, Shaq is in there, mm-hmm. Charles Barkley, his high school coach, like anyone that had anything to do with him ever, even just played against him, mm-hmm. wrote a little essay and talked about him. And so it was... I. I couldn't get his his own book that he wrote, which is the Mom, 
let me make sure I say I'm sure everybody and their brother went to grab it. Exactly. Like the wait list was ridiculous for it. So I couldn't grab it. Um, but he wrote the Mamba Mentality, How I Play. And I wanted to read that. But again, mm-hmm. the line was just ridiculous. And I'm not allowed to buy books at the moment. So I settled for this one. But it was it was really good. It made me cry a lot, especially the moments of people just talking about they couldn't wait to see what he did next with his retirement and just bald. Um, there are only two sports that I understand all of the rules, how to play it, how to watch it, and one of them is basketball. I'm so proud of you. I know. <laughs> so I grew up playing it. I cheered for basketball. I was a huge Michael Jordans fan. I remember when he left the Bulls and as a kid I cried because I thought that there's no Bulls without Michael Jordan <laughs> and which is true. <laughs> and so I just basketball has a lot of memories for me and so Kobe Bryant was just that loss was awful. But it was it was really really interesting. The basketball player who goes by the name World Peace uh, he was an, I can't remember his first name. Isn't it Meta World Peace? Meta World Peace is exactly correct. So, he was on Dancing with the Stars. What was his name before he changed? It? I couldn't tell you. Mm-mm. But Meta World Peace had a had an essay in this. And so talking about his final game in the in the NFL uh, NBA. Are you sure you understand? Lord. That's uh, we're recording this on the day of the Super Bowl, so football is on my mind. Yeah, I saw a thing earlier. It said, "So I heard a sporty thing is on." Yeah, I'm really excited about the uh, the Latina concert that's going to be happening tonight. Oh. <laughs> so that's what I'm there for. I'm excited about the Puppy Bowl. I do love the, the Puppy Bowl. Bowl. I could watch that all day, every day. Mm-hmm, so, but Meta World Peace said, watching his last game, he was. He lived up to it, and I say it was the greatest night in NBA history, and I still think it is. Um, I learned a lot about him that I didn't know. Um, like I said, I was never a big Lakers fan, but of course everybody knows about Kobe, knows how incredible of an athlete he was. I didn't know that he had an 81-point game. I never knew that. I never knew that he tore his Achilles in the middle of the game, walked off the court, then walked back on it to shoot the two free throws because of that foul that injured him and then made them like I just I had no idea so that was just this is an interesting concept I want to discuss um, because I think lots of people are talking about it is maybe maybe it's me maybe it's a generational thing but I'm not as broken up over the loss of Kobe. like yes it's a tragedy but I'm not like oh my gosh I want to rush out and like learn everything about him or I'm not like devastated over it mm-hmm. like I think some other people are like I know you were pretty upset when we found out and yeah just, like I wonder if it's just a generational thing like he was just after like, yeah I think if Michael Jordan died God. maybe that would be more resonant yeah. with me well I, I think it's a thing like, I'm sure it's a generation generation a terrible person <laughs> Well, I think it's just, it depends on who your heroes are, who yeah. you, who you, if you see an article written about someone, if you're going to read it. So yeah. just Kobe's just not your, not your guy. And that's yeah. fine. But don't get me wrong. If something happened to Michael Jordan, I would be triple the amount of devastated. I but I think that. it's, it's, Kobe was only 41. Yeah. So he's li- only 10 years older than me. Mm-hmm. So that was just, it was like, a, oh my God, people might like my age yeah. yeah it's it's just like bah, i hate it yeah. and i think the older we get to the more mm-hmm. we're gonna start losing people yeah. and i can't handle it 
because not only is it this incredible athlete that mm-hmm. I grew up watching just passed away in a horrific accident, but number two, it's it's just kind of it hits you that your heroes who are much older than you aren't going to be around forever, yeah. and that hurts, and yeah. I hate it. One other, a lot of sense. Yeah, and then one other quote I have is from a coach, and he said it was kind of the way you would do with Michael Jordan when you played against him. If you weren't careful, you would stop coaching your team and you just started watching him because they're just that incredible. And that was by Greg Popovich, and that was a coach on a team that Kobe never played on, but he was Mm -hmm. he was just saying that Kobe was just. This magnetic player that you Mm -hmm. would quit coaching your guys playing against him and just watch his awesomeness. So I thought that was just really cool because it's it's true. Like Kobe wasn't just an incredible offensive player. He was an incredible defensive player. He spent hours and hours and hours in gyms. If he found something that he was kind of lacking, Mm -hmm. he would spend however long it took to fix that issue that he had. And it was just for one small mm-hmm. issue that he had in his defensive playing, in his mm-hmm. offensive playing, his whatever. His drive was really Yes. Incredible. That's why people keep talking about his mama mentality and all of that is because it was exceptional. And there's not many players that even though they're getting paid $42 million for their final two seasons, mm-hmm. at that point, you could check out if you wanted to because you're making – so much money that it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. but he didn't and I think that's what kind of put him above a lot of people so just had to share it I I thought it was really interesting it was a really quick read it's less than 200 pages but I will be picking up his book I am on the waiting list (laughs) we'll see how long it takes me that's good well I'm glad that you enjoyed it and I know that that's something that really has resonated with you this week yeah I've cried a whole bunch this week like Mm -hmm. and I've not had I haven't had a hero or a big celebrity that meant that much to me that's passed away that's hit me as bad as Kobe has, which is really shocking to mm-hmm. me. Not even Robin Williams hit me that that much, which is very weird, I know. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just, it's a sport that I love. Mm-hmm. It's a player that so many people look up to. It is a big deal. So I'm, I'm glad I got to read it. And I had never thought about picking up something about him until Monday. And that's why I can only find the one to read immediately. Uh, well, it's good that you that you got to enjoy yeah. some enjoyment out of that for sure. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna go a little bleaker. Oh, my next one's bleak too. So, <clears throat> um, this one's not super bleak, but it's just definitely not the ray of sunshine. Sure. That you know we've kind of been on. Hidden figures by. Oh, that's not too too bad. No, yeah. it's not too too bad. I mean, it's definitely about the struggle. Yeah. This is by Margot Lee Shetterly, and. I have not seen the movie. I have been holding off because I wanted to read the book first. So I am glad that I finally, finally sat down and did it. <laughs> I've heard that the movie is much different than the book. It, The trailer looks like it's going to be. But, from from um, what I understand, it's the white man saves them. Uh, and, you know, because they have to. Well, yeah, it is Hollywood. Yeah. But it was, it's nonfiction. It was a brilliant, brilliant look at this story. And Margot Lee Shutterly started 
researching it because she's from there mm-hmm. and she had known some of these women they like taught her sunday school and stuff but she didn't realize their story so then she started researching it and that's where she kind of got that's really neat the concept for this and so you're unaware it's the story of the african-american women who worked at nasa and then before it was nasa at naca which oh. is the langley research institute um, in Virginia, and they worked as human computers. Hmm. That's what they were before. Right. Human computers were invented. And this is, they go as far back as the 1940s. I think Dorothy Vaughn's one of the first ones that comes in, and she comes in in 1943 during the war, and they're on the cutting edge of aeronautical research for helping to win the war. Like, they're making the bombers better. They're making the, you know, the fighter planes better. They Mm -hmm. do research for the Tuskegee Airmen's planes Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And that was really cool. And then it also transitions into a little bit later when Catherine Goble Johnson comes in. And she moves quite quickly from the computer area into a special project that eventually becomes... The mission to put a man on the moon. Okay. And she does a ton of the calculations Mm. for, like, the first orbital flight. And there's the famous story of uh, John Glenn, who's the first man to orbit, uh, saying, have the girl check the numbers. Yeah, I've heard that, too. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, I mean, you know, as an African-American woman, that's pretty impressive. Incredibly impressive. She was super awesome because... She says for two years while she worked there, she didn't realize she was supposed to be using the colored bathrooms because she just went to the bathroom and she didn't realize there were some other ones because she was probably working, way in the back. Yeah. Sure. She was working mostly with white people. So it was like two years in and someone finally called her on it and she's like, yeah, no, I'm not. That's not a thing I'm going to do. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. And that was pretty awesome. Get it, girl. Yeah. Um, and then there was a story in there about one woman who the cafeteria was segregated and every day she would take the colored section sign down and like two days later, someone would put it back up. She'd take it down again. And eventually they stopped putting it back up. That's incredible. Like the women never sat anywhere else. They just wanted that sign. Right. And so for these, not just even as, as African American women, but as women in general in Mm -hmm. the workplace, in the sciences, Mm -hmm. in the forties, fifties, sixties, that's incredible. You know, that they were even there. Mm -hmm. And this is a part of history that, really isn't discussed it's not something that people talk about and so that's one of the reasons she wrote the book um the other person they did talk about is mary jackson and she ends up being one of the first engineers that's a female not only a female but a black female like are you kidding me these women are incredible yeah and it's just their stories are brilliant it talks about each one of these star figures in detail but she mentions that there are like 50 to 60 women that from like 40s to the 60s that are working in this in this area and they're at the forefront of you know science and mm-hmm. putting a man on the moon and like you know, not just, only science but like history yes. like yeah and they're the minds behind it and it also talks about Dorothy Vaughn and how she saw ahead of time in the 50s when they were getting ready to switch to electronic computers mm-hmm. and so she taught herself how to code the programs for the computer so she could keep her employment sure. and she she worked there for so long and she was actually at one point made a supervisor and for her to be a black female supervisor it was pretty incredible back in that area yeah god yeah and there was a story of her staring down one of her 
counterparts and she's like you're no higher than i am we're on the same level you're gonna do this and it was just like get it it was awesome yes yeah so it was just it was a really good story it was i mean it was for sure about the struggle it was about the prejudice they faced girls can't do math or you know the narrative that black people are just not as intelligent of course yeah and no, because the, the melanin in your skin is just... Yeah. yeah it, it totally ruins everything. Absolutely. And the sexism that they faced mm-hmm. in this world where these men are in charge and then navigating that and and coming to the forefront of history. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just... I'm glad ugh. that their stories are told because yes. when... when uh, this book came out and the movie came out and all of that. It wasn't anything that I had ever heard of. Yeah, me So either. it was brand new information. I and know. I love hearing about it. And it's like so many of these women were there. Mm-hmm. And how does nobody know about this? Yeah. And so it was just really, really cool. That is cool. Yeah. It's something that's been on my list for a long time. So. Definitely worth it. And okay. it's not super big. It's like 380 pages yeah. or so. Definitely well worth the read. Mm-hmm. For sure. That's great. Mm-hmm. Okay, my next one is one that has been on the New York Times 100 Most Notable Books. It is recently made into a movie with Michael B. Jordan, who is fantastic. So this one is Just Mercy, A Story of Justice and Redemption by Brian Stevenson. This is one that I have meant to read forever and ever. As long as I can remember, I've wanted to read this. I have never heard of it. Are you serious? Yes. Oh my gosh. So this is... um. Uh, Brian Stevenson is a black man, uh, went and graduated from Harvard Law School, kind of didn't really know what he wanted to do with his law degree. He just kind of went to Harvard, not on a whim, but just as a not really sure. So I might as well go to school. We'll see. We'll figure it out. And he ended up in Atlanta interning in the summertime, interning with a um, with a law practice there that dealt with men uh, on death row. And he ended up having to drive down to meet with a man on death row uh, to talk to him about his case because every single lawyer was busy. And so it changed his life. So he ended up going to Alabama and starting the Equal Justice Initiative, which in kind of a nutshell was a law practice that defended the poor, the wrongly condemned, and people that were just trapped in a very faulty justice system and so the uh the biggest case that he talks about in this is walter mcmillian who was a black man that was convicted of murder and put on death row of a white woman and even though his entire family said that he was with them at a fish fry at his house the day of her death literally Dozens and dozens of people provided alibis and the cops, the prosecutor, the DA, everyone uh, was just like, nope, that didn't happen. Um, They had another white man. They coerced him and scared him into saying that Walter killed her. He saw it. All of this. They promised him. They told him that if he didn't lie and say that Walter um, didn't do it. If he, if he did not do that, they were going to have him die as well. And so it was and just, when was this? this was in the eighties. Oh, okay. So not long ago not at as far all. Not as back as you would want it to be. No, 
and it's just, huh, I, it, it hurt my soul reading it because so Tavia and I are located in Tennessee. I could, I could drive for about forty five minutes and hit Alabama, and it, I, I, I hated it a whole lot. Learning about the Alabama system and how they not until the year two thousand did they uh, make it okay for people to have sex that wouldn't procreate meaning you could be jailed for being gay basically i wonder when tennessee repealed that as well because i'm sure it's prevalent in the whole south oh i know but i think it was well before the year 2000 which i hope so god but and it was just it was talking about how they went through disgusting ways to make sure that even though the counties would be 70 percent african-american they would do everything and anything in their power to make sure that not one black person was on the jury um and it was just it was just nonstop heart-wrenching crap about the justice system number one laws and segregation in the south um but then he he eventually started going towards working with kids teenagers who were condemned to die in prison or were given the death penalty. I'm talking about a 14-year-old boy, so small that he didn't weigh 100 pounds, being put in an adult male penitentiary because they decided that he was um, enough of a man to die in prison. And Brian going to meet this poor kid because his grandmother called Mm -hmm. and asked for help. And then having to hear that this child was raped all because they decided that he's black so he can go to the men's penitentiary. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was so much. Like, it was just, it was awful and it was enlightening and it was, ugh, like, it was, it was, it was so much. But I'm very glad to have read it. Um, if you want to learn more about about him uh there is a book that recently came out called the sun does shine and this is by anthony ray hinton and this is also a man that brian stevenson helped get off death row um anthony ray hinton went on death row before walter mcmillian did in the 80s and they weren't able to get him off until 2015 all because for 15 years the state of Alabama literally refused to retest DNA because when he was convicted, they didn't have DNA testing at that point. In the year 2000, they were able to say, check the DNA that you have. And they literally wouldn't do it for 15 years until he went to the Senate and had them force Alabama to do it. And then it was like, oh, that wasn't you. Okay. Thanks for your 30 years on death row wow. and it was it was awful but I'm glad to have read it mm-hmm. um and I'm 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 glad to be able to own it so that I have it on my shelf for forever because hopefully when I see it it will remind me and it will check my privilege but yeah it was really 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 good and awful yeah good in a bad way yeah yeah that's good we need those books in our lives. We do. You can't always sit back not knowing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't challenge yourself, if you don't read or watch things that make you uncomfortable and check yourself, you're you're never going to change. You're not going to better. And a lot of people don't want to change, and that's the whole 
point. Because it's hard. It's hard to read this stuff. It's hard to learn it. But if you don't remind yourself how things were and are, they're always going to be that way. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm glad to have read it. Well, I'm glad that you read that one. I'm going to pull us just a little bit out of the gloom. My next one is Bad Feminist. Mm. And this is by Roxanne Gay. And I really liked it. It was... Talk about another book that makes you uncomfortable. Yes, but it was it was really... It was just really good. So it is a collection of essays about moving through the world as a woman and as a woman of color. Mm -hmm. And how, for better or for worse, feminism affects us as women. Mm -hmm. Um, Shockingly. Right. And there's just so many quotes in it that are brilliant. But kind of like the thesis of the book is this quote that she has. And it's a little lengthy, so... It's, I embrace the label of bad feminist because I am human. I am messy. I'm not trying to be an example. I'm not trying to be perfect. I am not trying to say I have all the answers. I'm not trying to say I'm right. I'm just trying. Trying to support what I believe in. Trying to do some good in this world. Trying to make some noise with my writing while also being myself. And it's like, yes, we are flawed as Mm -hmm. women. We are flawed feminists. We don't have to be perfect 100% of the time to achieve a modicum of goodness Mm -hmm. and and any kind of progress is good progress we can still like the color pink and be feminists Mm -hmm. we can still we can still want to get married and be feminists yes and that's kind of like the whole point of it and she also says I believe feminism is grounded in supporting the choices of women even if we wouldn't make those choices for ourselves love that and this is a concept I was talking with my husband about just the other day how I think women on women hate Mm. is something that does a lot, if not as much damage as men on women hate. Mm -hmm. Because if we can't even hold ourselves up, you know, it's just, Mm -hmm. and so that's something that she talks about. She also talks about being an an African-American woman, uh, a daughter of immigrants and that experience moving through life. And the, the crux of it is, you know, what makes a feminist does any flaw in your feminist mindset make you no longer a feminist Mm -hmm. so i thought that was just really brilliant Mm -hmm. yeah she's awesome and whenever i think of women supporting women i always think of drunk girls in a bathroom yes you should always strive to love other girls as if you were a drunk girl in a bathroom Mm -hmm. because you'll never experience that much love like I have been in the bathroom line in a bar and girl, like all it is, is, oh my God, your makeup's amazing. Oh my God, your hair is amazing. Your skirt is awesome. Where did you get those shoes? And it's nothing but love. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, why can't we all be like that all the time? Yeah. That kind of support is what we need in the world. Yes. Be drunk girls in a bathroom. <laughs> Uh, she also had one more quote that I wanted to say because this is something that I think as women we are told constantly mm-hmm. and it's to lighten up. Mm. Uh, just lighten up. You're being too sensitive. Whatever. But she says, it's hard to be told to lighten up because if you lighten up anymore, you're going to float the F away. <laughs> and I was like, yes, this is true. It's like we're not allowed mm-hmm. to be vocal about things that bother us because then we're being too pushy i read a quote in another book uh men don't like women who speak up and i'm like 
<laughs> so, um, yeah. So it was just, it was, it was just really cool. It was yeah. a cool look, and I am dying to read her uh, one of her other books, Hunger. Oh, I was wondering if you were going to bring that yes. up because not only is she a black woman, she is also an in quotation mark. She's an overweight yes. black woman, and so she's just got a whole lot of things going against mm-hmm. her, and so and she speaks a lot about um your relationship with food, how that how things that have happened to you can all come back to food. Like it's just a whole thing that she covers. I've wanted to read Hunger as well, but it sounds fascinating. She also has another book that I really am not sure how to pronounce. Uh, There's an an A in there if there's the Y. If I had to guess, it'd be a Yiti. It's A-Y-I-T-I. I don't, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> yeah, it's I'm my best sure. guess. That's, it's a good, it's a good try. Um, I, oh, it was her debut novel. It, yeah, it was. And it's about uh, immigrants. And so I thought that was really cool. So she's out here telling these stories about minorities and, that are just really important. Um, oh, so it's, uh, I'm assuming it's a Haitian word. Hey, uh, her father is Haitian. So yes. Her, um, she's a first generation Haitian immigrant. Gotcha. And so she talks about trying, you know, trying to fit in in this kind of world that you don't really fit into. And, and so that book uh, is about that. So Very just, nice. You know, just a brilliant writer. I think she's a professor at Yale now. Oh, I didn't know she was at Yale. Yeah, I know when she... I read Bad Feminist years ago, mm-hmm. um, she was a professor, but it was in like a... She was at Purdue. Yes. I believe she did a community college somewhere that she went to Purdue. And in 2018, she moved to Yale. So, Interesting. But she also does guest stories or guest articles for the mm-hmm. New York Times. I know. She writes a she's lot. Just... She's also, if you follow her on Goodreads, she answers questions in the snarkiest of ways. Yes, on her Goodreads. Yes. It says, I'm a magic eight ball. And so you can like type in a question mm-hmm. and she'll talk to you. And it's yeah. Um, people ask her just horrific things sometimes. Mm-hmm. And not always will she answer them. But when she does, though, it's it's fantastic. Yeah. She's just brilliant all around, and she's out here telling these stories about mm-hmm. the groups that need to be told, mm-hmm. and I, I think that that's really commendable for sure. I'm just going to rapid fire a few. Uh, these two are the only ones that I were able to get through recently, but just a rapid fire of books that I either have read or want to read. So we, of course, have Angie Thomas on the come up, and then um, the one that I have read by her is The Hate You Give. On the come up sounds amazing as well. I also own this. This is one that I hope to get through this month. And this is called The Other Westmore, written by Westmore. It's about two boys named Westmore grow up within a few blocks of each other. One ends up working in the White House. The other ends up a convicted felon. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of how their lives intersect, but also completely veer, um, in different ways. Sounds fantastic. Of course, uh, Toni Morrison, literally anything she writes. I have, I own uh, Beloved or Beloved. I, I've never actually read any Toni Morrison. I haven't either, so I don't know how to pronounce oh, yeah. that one. It's, sure. I don't know. But. I want to, but it seems really just sad. <laughs> I know. It's daunting, but I do own it. I want to read it. A brand new book that just came out is called Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. This is about a white woman's nanny uh, is black. Uh, She takes the child out to the grocery store. Someone 
automatically assumes that she has kidnapped this child. And so it's about how this white blogger is like, well, I'm going to help my nanny. And it's just how their friendship intersects uh, and all of the calamity that comes from this. I've got a funny one that sounds amazing is I can't date Jesus, love, sex, family, race, and other reasons I've put my faith in Beyonce. And that's by Michael Arsenault, I believe is how you would pronounce it. Sounds amazing. That does sound good. Um, And then Becoming by Michelle Obama was one of my most favorite books that I read in 2018. I listened to the audiobook that was read by her. It was incredible. She's a fascinating woman. It covers more of just her life. It's not an expose, um, but it's... It's not political. No, not in any way. And it just kind of talks about how she was raised, how Chicago's south side is such a big deal to her and it's it's just an incredible she's an incredible woman i loved it so much um and then by barack obama dreams from my father a story of race and inheritance i've wanted to read this since i first heard about it in Mm -hmm. 2008 and i haven't yet so this is absolutely something that i'm dying to get my hands on as soon as possible well that was a lot it was a lot i have one that's that I okay. want to wrap up with. That's okay. You read it. So yes. that's okay. And I don't know if there's enough words to do this book justice. Mm. It's something that I think will stay with me for the rest of my life. It was just really powerful. And this is Dear Martin. And that's by Nick Stone. And this is her debut novel. Nice. She's got a couple more out since then. Um, that I haven't gotten to, but I have been wanting to read this one for quite a while and it's only 210 pages. So I literally read it yesterday. Nice. Um, but it's, it's powerful. It's basically her thought process and where she came from writing this is the shooting deaths of Michael Brown and the, you know, current Black Lives Matter movement, stuff like that. She said, do the teachings of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. still stand up anymore? So that's where she approached this from. And it is about Justice McAllister, who is a 17-year-old African-American. And this is set, was maybe this was one of the reasons it resonated with me too. But it's set in Atlanta. And that's where mm. Nick lives and where she's from. She grew up in a suburb outside of Atlanta. And Justice is a scholarship student at a prep school that is predominantly white Mm -hmm. and he gets profiled and incorrectly arrested by the police he has this you know kind of like crisis of or identity crisis and so he decides to start doing this be like martin project and he starts writing journal entries like that are letters to dr king to try to be like Martin Mm -hmm. in this world. But then things get even crazier and an incident happens that's completely tragic. And it's like, you know, in our society, would Dr. King's teachings still hold up? Do they still have validity in this system where, you know, you're being pulled down from all different angles? In one of the quotes that I loved, he said that the kids from his old neighborhood 
the they didn't want him to get better. They wanted to pull him back down. But then the white kids were also kind of trying to push him down too. So he's like, it's like I'm climbing a mountain and the white guy is standing up there pushing me down and the black guy from my neighborhood is behind trying to pull me down mm-hmm. and it's like what do I do? And there were so many powerful quotes in under 200 pages. It's kind of that's when you know it's a really good book. Yes. One of the first ones is when he's writing to Dr. King and it's like, it's what do I do when my very identity is being mocked by people who refuse to admit there's a problem? Hmm. So like in the school setting, he has a debate group that he's part of that debates whether racism still exists in the United States or whether, what is it I'm trying to say? Yes, racism, but... Like segregation, like um, inequality. Race, does racial inequality still exist in the United States? Hmm. And these white kids of privilege are like, absolutely not. Oh, and Lord. he's like, you know, sitting there having just been put in handcuffs for like three hours for trying to help a white girl, you know, and incorrectly profiled. And so he's trying to reconcile this world in his head. Mm-hmm. And it's like he doesn't really fit in anywhere. And so that's, you know, like people who refuse to see that there's a problem Mm -hmm. and he says a girl said why are black people so angry all the time and he's like well tell me how else i'm supposed to be Mm -hmm. you know in this world and um then it's like why try to do right if people always look at me and assume wrong right and as a 17 year old can you imagine Mm-hmm. dealing with this kind of world on top of all the crap that goes on because you're 17 right yeah trying to deal with girls and mm-hmm. friends and then puberty yes <laughs> and then you're also dealing with i'm a black guy yeah yeah and they talk about the black man black man's curse in here and mm-hmm. it was just you know it was so it was just so it was wonderful the last one that i have and that says, he's talking to his one of his teachers, and this is the only half-black teacher, and he says, the only person I know with any, I know personally with any sort of African heritage that has a PhD, which mm. is pretty cool. And it is, his teacher says, you can't change how other people think and act, but you are in full control of you. When it comes down to it, the only question that matters is this. If nothing in the world ever changes, what type of man are you going to be? Mm. And I just, you know, that's brilliant. And so he kind of ponders that through through the book. And it's, it's a culture clash bringing in the civil rights movement in the 60s with the generation today where Black Lives Matter is having to come from, where the blatant racism that is existing in areas, even coming from the top down. Oh, yeah. Is, People of power. You know, yeah. And just trying to navigate that as a person and mm-hmm. figure out where you fit in and trying to do it in a civil manner. Um, Gosh, I know I have to not debate with anyone because I get so angry and so upset. And I'm one of those, I'm an angry crier. Like I can't, I'm not good on my feet. I can't I, formulate my thoughts. Well, like I know what I believe. I know what I stand for, but when I have to, quickly explain it I cannot do it and so I just cry and it just 
reduces me to just a stupid woman. Hysterical female. Yes. And I'm just like, no, I have opinions. I just can't formulate them at this moment. I would be much better doing like a presentation to you on my beliefs than having a debate. Because like you said, I get so irritated at the irrational thoughts of other people that I can no longer form mine into coherent sentences. Exactly. And it's... Yeah, I I am a terrible debater, mm-hmm. but I know I yeah. know what I want to say. I just can't get it yeah. out coherently, and then it defeats all of the purpose of the whole debate. So, yeah. well, I, I really talking about I really like that last quote because in the time of this political crap that we're going through, and the time of Me Too, and the time of Black Lives Matter, what kind of person are you? Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. And the, the teacher, he was saying, you know, be like Martin is a great project, but you have to be like you. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to act like you. That's what Martin was doing. He was acting like himself. Mm-hmm. And so, and there is one point that Justice talks about what kind of man was Martin at 17. Right. Was he the same? Was he, you know, already on this path? Do I still have room to grow? Mm. Am I finished? You know, like it was just kind of that yeah. coming of age story, but set against all this racial tension. Mm-hmm. Because then there's also racial tension from the black people in his life. Like he has a white lab partner that he kind of likes and his mom doesn't want him to date her because mm-hmm. she's white. And sure. it's like, you know, racism exists everywhere. Yeah. And it's just, you know, we have to keep talking about it. We have to keep reading these things. Mm-hmm. We have to keep moving forward yeah and i just thought it was a really brilliant look at you know today's world versus the world that dr king lived in right and how those kind of can mesh together mm-hmm. so i thought it was really really awesome very good books yeah i thought it was a great i loved this episode mm-hmm. i've been very excited for it you love every episode I let's do. be All of real our episodes are the best <laughs> Oh, a point. In fact, this is our 50th episode. <gasps> Happy 50th! I know! We're Yay! 50! <laughs> but yes, I am I'm very glad that we chose this to be our 50th. Mm-hmm. It was a good one. It was good. Now, just to very quickly, um, as just a side note, Mary Higgins Clark just passed away. And I could not talk about this prolific author she may not be everybody's cup of tea. I totally get it. I've never read anything by her. I have I know read. Of her, though. Oh, who doesn't in the book world? But um, she was quite prolific. She was the very first that I can remember, uh, first adult author I ever read that wasn't a uh, Christian romance. And so I've I've read several of hers. So she's a significant in your reading life yeah and and i i saw someone on facebook post that she had passed away and i just had to take a moment and be like oh my god what a week for me like yeah um um, she was been having a rough go with it it's been a bad year (laughs) (laughs) it's only february i know (laughs) well i mean january by itself was 74 years long so god but um she was i believe they said she was 92 she's obviously had a great life um but it was it was sad that she has gone her i know she uh worked a lot with her daughter her daughter is an author as well they wrote they wrote an entire series together along with other things so she has someone to kind of 
pick up where she left off but yes but it it was a sad moment in the literary world that I wanted to make sure that we covered really quickly for sure question yes ma'am have you decided on your buddy read no can you sort that out we'll see we only have a couple weeks people need to get their lives together I need to get my life together Tavia this is true okay I promise that I will figure that out quickly you've been promising us for weeks now (laughs) you're being hysterical (laughs) right now this is true yes sit back down and be demure yeah could you please stop talking thanks (laughs) i'm gonna put my hand up and be like that's enough out of you (laughs) oh my gosh have you ever had anybody do that to you no okay i haven't either i think i would punch them yeah (laughs) Yeah. dear lord don't put your hand in my face okay but yes, I promise I will get that well, sorted. Well, I, mean, I did grow up in the 90s with the talk to the hand, but that's not really that's the different. same. That's different. That's <laughs> different. <laughs> but I promise to get my life figured out, figure out what my buddy read is going to be. Do you have any choices you're thinking about narrowing down? Literally, when you asked me that, I was like, should I just say Jurassic Park just because it's the one that I talked about? But I don't know if I want to read Jurassic Park because I don't own it. Tavia is emphatically shaking her head no. Um, and you know that just makes me want to read it even more. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I honestly, I don't know. Speaking I c- of buying books, mm-hmm. um, I did break my book <gasps> for Dear Martin. But I really, really, really wanted to read it for this episode. And it sounds like it's worth it to own. Yes. And I was still eight weeks away on the waiting list for the library. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah. I just was like, mm, I'm going to do it. And it was only 10 bucks, And I feel okay about it. <laughs> but I did read. And I posted on our Instagram. I read two books last month for January on the Unread Shelf Project. So Way to go. making progress. Woo-hoo. So proud. I, I read, um, including Just Mercy, I have now read two books that I owned. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. I read like 10 books overall, but two that I owned already. So, Way to go. Yeah. I am down to 159 unread books. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't know how many I have yeah. again. I'm trying to be very organized and keep track of everything. Are you still year. keeping track? Yeah. I need to color in the two books that I talked about today. I need to color those in on my reading challenge yeah, prettiness should, that I have. You should post an update yes. for, for the folks at home. <laughs> we will do that. Okay. Yes, ma'am. All right. Well, we will let you guys go and get back to your reg- regular scheduled programming. Mm-hmm. And we will talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.